So here we are, the first Sunday of the new year. Um, so the, this time of the year really is when, uh, if you own a gym, you're probably rubbing your hands together with glee. You know, the, the owners of the gyms are probably ordering their new cars about now. They're booking their summer holidays. And then if you own a greengrocer's or a health food shop or, you know, some sort of supplements, again, you are loving life. And don't even mention gym kit and, sa and trainer sales this time of year. They go through the roof. And uh, a very old Paul, I believe, bought a pair yesterday just to... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how many of us this year have made a New Year's resolution that's going to involve eating more healthily? It's going to involve exercising more. It's going to involve driving less, reducing our carbon footprint, or something, like, something else altogether, getting in control or on top of our finances. Now, they're all New Year's resolutions, and they're all great. And they all start with just a little intention to do something good but they only become useful if that intention is followed up with an action. So this year, Paul is uh, intending to run the marath London Marathon, and he's intending to do it in a quick time. Um, sorry, Paul, I didn't tell you that I was going to put this in here. Um, the intention to run that marathon was formed, and he logged onto the computer, and he got himself a place. The action that follows that is that he is training harder than he's ever trained before. And that action needs to be continuous and keep on going until he finishes and crosses that, that finish line. So the intention to run a marathon is one thing. The actual act of doing it is very different. So the verse that we're going to look at this morning is Romans 12. And it's just verse 1. And it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So when I was looking at this passage, I looked at a couple of translations, and I'm going to read the uh, NLT translation, because um, I liked that. It made it easier for me to understand. And it said this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So we're going to draw a couple of questions, or three questions actually from this. And the first is this one. And this is one with anyone with children will know this is a constant question. And it's just... Why? Whenever we ask Lily or Bertie to do something, there's always a response of, why? And in this case, the why refers to, why should we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? Now, to answer that, we need to look at the, uh, the start of the verse. The very first phrase on this verse is, therefore, I urge you. So that word therefore means that we have to look previous to what has gone, what has been said. And that will give us the answer that we're looking for. So what went before? What was those first 11 chapters that Paul uh, is talking about? What was he writing to the Roman church about? And those first 11 chapters of Romans is the theological doctrine of all that God had done for us. 
So I've got 10 verses from those first 11 chapters, and they are basically a great evangelistic, evangelistic message. And this is what Paul was writing to the church in Rome about. So I'll read them out now. Romans 1 and verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the, for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then we go to Romans 3, 9 to 11. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And then Romans 3, 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. And again in Romans 3, verse 23, a well-known verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again in Romans 6, verse 20, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our life, our Lord. And then Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Romans 8, again, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And Romans 8, 37 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then finally, Romans 10, 9 to 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So those first 11 chapters of Romans, they are the theological doctrine. And when we start in chapter 12, we move on to the practical application of that, that doctrine. So those verses show us what we need to know. And just putting in a small paragraph... It's this, we're all sinners. Everyone is covered with sin. In the same way that everyone on earth is surrounded and covered by oxygen, we all have sin in our lives. But the prophets testified that there'd be a way to be free from the sin. And that way is Jesus Christ. He gave us the way out from that all-encompassing sin. If we confess our sins and believe in our hearts that Jesus died, we are free. So Paul, sorry, there we go. 
So Paul has given the church in Rome the great evangelistic message over the first 11 chapters. And then first verse of chapter 12, we're told to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we return to that question of why. Why should we do that? So looking from those first 11 chapters, God had been merciful to us. He doesn't give us the punishment that we deserve. So as believers, we are urged to sacrifice our lives for God. He gave us the air that we breathe. He breathed the life into our lungs. He's given us everything that we have, the possessions, the friends, the family. Everything that we have is from God. So what Paul's trying to get across here in this first part is that as believers, we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice because we have received God's mercy and we receive ongoing mercies. So we offer our bodies out of thanks and out of gratitude, not out of duty. And it's not to receive something, it's not a, tra- not a transaction. So offering a sacrifice seems to be a way of life. And that's since the beginning of Genesis. In Genesis 2 and Cain and Abel, I'll go into that in a bit more detail later. But both the, in the Old Testament, both the Israelites and the Egyptians believed in God or gods. There was a sacrificial system in place. They believed that they needed to sacrifice in, e- in order to obtain God's mercies. And that was because at the time they did not realize that the sacrifice... Sorry, I've lost my point. Um, not realizing or believing that the sacrifice was the symbol of God's mercy. So us as believers, we know that God's mercy and love is freely given and therefore we offer our bodies because we have received his mercy. And this is the, the key point. The Old Testament believers sacrificed in order to receive, but we should re-sacrifice because we have received. One of those verses, Romans 8, 9, that we looked at earlier says, we are not controlled anymore by the sinful nature but if we believe, we are controlled by the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us. If we listen to and obey the Holy Spirit's prompting, we're then following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We will willfully be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this means that we're opening to the nudging, those gentle prompts of the Spirit, giving us those intentions that come into our minds. And then we will willfully put our bodies into practice. It starts with an intention from the Spirit and turns into action with us using our bodies. But we also need to be careful that we don't make the mistake of approaching the topic of offering ourselves to God in the wrong way, bargaining with God. When we do something something wrong, I'm sorry, you know, I spoke in that way uh, to, those, to those people, it wasn't honouring you, God, or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the best person that I could have been at work today. You know, I went to the football and I, and I was swearing like a, foot, like a trooper when I was there. I tell you what, I, I'll give an extra amount in the offering to make up for it, or I'll help out at the food bank, or I'll do something just to make ourselves better. It's important to remember, God's love His mercy and his forgiveness is freely given. He asks nothing in return, just the acknowledgement that he loves you and he has forgiven you. 
So why should we offer our lives as a living sacrifice? It's quite simple, really. It's because of God's love and forgiveness for us and because the Holy Spirit lives within us. So then we move on to what does it actually look like to be a living sacrifice? Well, why were sacrifices made in the first place, and what is a sacrifice? Well, when I was a child, I remember on the odd occasion, maybe not being as well-behaved as I should have been. And on those rare and probably infrequent occasions when I'd been sent to my room, I can distinctly remember writing a note of apology to my parents. And then along with that note, I would raid my money box, taking out what was in there, and then place the notes and the coins on my parents' pillows. (laughs) Even at that young, tender age, I had an understanding that I'd done something wrong, and I needed or wanted to offer what I had to make up for it. So that, uh, that principle of making a sacrifice appears to have been ingrained in us as humans, and from a long age, from a young age, sorry. We just want to make up for the wrongs that we've done by doing something, by punishing ourselves or giving something up. And that's not the way that uh, God works. I want us to think that a sacrifice is not a negative event. It's not a negative act. It's not an act of self-denial. It's not an act of punishment. A sacrifice should actually be a sign of freedom, and it's a way of saying thank you for something, not sorry. So as I said, we first learn about sacrifices back in Genesis, and that's when Cain and Abel made the sacrifices. Cain's sacrifice, it came from the ground, and it was, you know, it was crops, and and not necessarily the best. Abel's was a, a... a living, an animal from his flock. And it was the best that he had. It was the best that he could offer. And that was acceptable to God because it was the best. He gave everything. He didn't leave anything behind. And then as we read through the Old Testament, sacrifices become more and more common. And they were established by God. The Israelites are saved from the Egyptians by a sacrifice which each household offers. God then establishes sacrifices with his people. There are sacrifices for different things, guilt offerings, sin offerings, peace offerings. And they're there to establish a way to come to God. This was all in the Old Testament. And at that time, a sacrifice needed to be the best of what you had. If it was an animal sacrifice, it needed to be the best animal you had, the cleanest, without blemish and pure. And it was a, a sacrifice was the symbol of repentance. It was a sign that we had done wrong. It was a plea for favor in the eyes of God. Now God required, and he still does require us to acknowledge our sinful nature and our acts in order to be able to be with him. However, the joy of the, Jesus' death on the cross is that he was the one and only sacrifice that was needed for every person and every sin to make us right with God. It doesn't end at that point, though. The sacrifice of Jesus was so good, so pure, so blameless, 
And because he was the son of God, he was able to defeat death and rise again as the living sacrifice. And therefore, by God's grace, and because he has accepted the sacrifice of his son in our place, we can be made right with God with no further sacrifice needed. We just need to ask for forgiveness, nothing else. And once we've asked for Jesus into our lives, we then have the Holy Spirit, and we're led by the Holy Spirit to imitate Jesus. And we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Just as Jesus came from heaven to earth to be the living sacrifice that would make us right with God, we now need to live our lives as a living sacrifice, doing everything for God with God at the center, casting our own desires aside. After all, we're here on this earth for a small moment in time. So what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? Firstly, by giving ourselves we're giving ourselves, we're giving a sacrifice that is alive and it is ongoing and it keeps on going and going and going. There is no end. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was given, it was killed and it was gone and the process needed to be repeated. That isn't the case for us. And why else should we give our bodies? By giving our bodies, we're giving everything. Our bodies contain our hearts and our souls. There is nothing that we're holding back. Just as it says in Romans 10 and verse 10, For it is with your heart that you believed and are justified, and it was with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Our salvation is an all-encompassing act. It starts in our hearts and then we confess with our mouth. And so our lives should be the same. We can't give our hearts to God and ask for, ask for his forgiveness and not follow it through with offering our bodies to be used for his good. And again, our bodies are a living and they're a visible sign of what we're doing. By giving our bodies this is a witness to others, is an outward sign of an internal commitment that has been made. And the best thing about this is that giving our bodies just shows that we don't need to be perfect. None of us are perfect. Our bodies are imperfect. We each have our own individual flaws and imperfections. We come to God as we are and are accepted by God with all our physical and obvious flaws, with our illnesses, our weaknesses, our aches and our pains. I don't think there's anyone here who would put their hands up and say that they're a perfect physical human specimen without blemish. Remember, in the Old Testament, a sacrifice had to be perfect. We don't need to be. We just come to God as we are. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, He was absolutely pure, He was without fault, He was blameless. He was the perfect sacrifice that took our, took our place. We literally come as we are, warts and all. And this shows the world that God accepts the weak. He accepts the broken. He accepts the sick. He accepts the lame. Whatever state our physical body is in, God accepts us. Whatever state our heart is in, God accepts us. There's no one too bad. 
There's no one too imperfect for God. So being a living sacrifice should look like you are all in for God. Yet, ironically, this is not an outlandish declaration shouting it from the rooftops. This is just having a desire of the heart that is so strong. No part of your life is held back from him. In every action, we're considering if what we're doing is honoring to God. It's that quiet, diligent contemplation of those big and small decisions in life. It's laying them before God and waiting for a response. It's stepping out in faith. It's making brave, courageous decisions because we know that God has our backs and he won't fail us. And you won't see everyone that is a living sacrifice for God stood at the front. Some people may not be engaged with all the social activities. They may not be on an eldership course, on the worship band, kids rotor, on the welcome team. But don't discount what these people are doing. Remember, God sees the quiet and God sees the loud. Being a living sacrifice doesn't have to be allowed. It doesn't have to be stood on the street corners preaching the word. It can be the quiet, gentle, spirited person laying everything before God. Just remember, in 1 Peter 3, we read that this type of person is of great worth in God's sight. So we just move on to the third point, which is what is meant by this being our true and proper worship? So we've seen that we should offer our bodies to God because of his sacrifice. And we should then be all in, completely immersed for God, not holding anything back. Giving our body, giving our soul in whatever state we are in. Not just dipping our toe in the water, but full immersion. And doing this is our true worship because we are in as deep as we can go. And nothing is held back. We're free to worship with our whole bodies not just our voices and our hands. Now we know that God loves our corporate worship. And for many, that is what worship is. And I'm going to say controversially, 20 minutes a week on a Sunday morning at church is not devoting our whole lives to worship. If we have given our lives to God and we're sacrificing our bodies to God, trusting him and consulting him in every action, then everything we do is worship. Our true and proper worship is living for God in every aspect of our lives. I just want us to have a quick look at Revelations chapter 7, and verse 9 to 12. I'll just read it. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could... No one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
So we see here that John saw a multitude too large to count from all the nations, all the tribes, all the languages, and not just, not just us as humans. Then the angels and the elders and the four living creatures, they were all there praising God. They were all falling down on their faces and they were giving glory to God. They were worshipping God with their whole bodies, the physical act of falling down, and they were worshipping God with their voices. So what are we made for? What are we here for? Are we here to be evangelists, to spread God's word? Is it to love our neighbours? Is it to be the best preacher that we can be? Is it to show God's love through our actions in the mundane chores of everyday life? Well, yes, we are. But... There is one more goal, one more far important reason for our being, and that is to glorify God and to enjoy him for all eternity. In those verses in Revelation, we read about worshipping God. What will we be doing in heaven? Worshipping God. That is our purpose. That is our eternity. And that is why us offering our bodies as a living sacrifice is our true worship. We worship God with our whole being, and we do it for eternity. So our true worship is to glorify God in every decision and every action that we make. Just imagine for one moment that we're here on a Sunday morning, and we're worshiping God with everything that we have for the, for the 20 minutes whilst the band are, band are playing. And then we walk out of church, you get into your car, and you just drive past your neighbor who's walking back from the shops laden with bags, and you know he's got another half a mile to go, you don't stop to offer him a lift for no other reason than you don't want to. Or you're at home and you're really thirsty and you make yourself a cup of tea, you don't offer anyone else in the house a cup of tea. Just make one for yourself. Is that worshipping God with your whole being? Is that worshipping God in everything you do? So are we guilty of worshipping God when the band are on fire, but then stop when we work out of that environment? Worshipping God should involve every aspect of our lives. It's about what we watch. It's about what we say. It's about what we read. It's about where we go. And it's, it's a, a true worshipper is happy to have God with them in every aspect of their life. There's not one conversation they would not want God to be part of. Not one place they would want to go without God. Every door is open. True worship is being able to live in a greenhouse and being totally comfortable with God being there and seeing and hearing everything that you do. And he does. So how do we put this into practice? And what steps can we, can we take to start this year? So this is obviously the first Sunday of the new year, and it's a great time to make some godly intentions. And that will mean as a church family and add as individuals, we will grow in our faith this year. So I want to bring some practical steps out of this. Firstly, we can all have the intention to do something, and as I've mentioned before, an intention without action is meaningless. So my one prayer for us this morning is that if we have an intention to do something amazing, 
this year, whether it's big or whether it's small, that will be stirred into taking action as well. And an intention will come into our minds from the Holy Spirit. Intentions can and are very much God-led. They can be a prompting from the Heavenly Father. And he will give us good intentions. The action side of that is down to us, though. We are in control of our actions. If we don't act on that intention, we've got no one to blame. We're in control of our bodies and our actions. And it's exactly the same as it is our choice to give our lives to God. It's up to us to act on those intentions, those promptings that we've been, good in, been given. Now, I've been stood at the back here. Uh, those of you who, who know, I'm the one stood at the back in the corner, quietly normally, not here. And I've been stood there many a times, and I've had a prompting and an intention that I should share something. But I don't, because I'm weak. I have control of my body, and I choose to keep my body at the back there. Because I'm fearful of being stood here. And as a, as a church here, NLCC, you know, as the four churches, we are so fortunate that we have the eldership team that we do. They're a living example of an intention and then putting that into action. When they received the prophetic word about NLCC being a motorway with four lanes, they prayed into it, they contemplated it. And then when the opportunities arose, they took a step of faith and they acted. They did something that was scary, that was risky, that was unknown. They made changes and alterations to the structure in order to embark on the journey of, of fulfilling that prophecy. And as we know today, it has worked and it continues to work. Businesses grow because they act on an idea. Marks and Spencers didn't start off as it is now. It started off as a corner shop. And they decided they had an intention to grow and then they acted on it. So do we want to change something this year? Do we want to go deeper into our relationship with God? Do we want to improve our prayer life? Do we want to study more? Do we want to invite someone to church? Or do we just want to have a more steady walk with Jesus? If the answer to any of this is yes, then do something. Make some changes. And again, if you have this intention every year and you act and after a few weeks you're back in the same place, then change what you're doing at the beginning of the year. Alice isn't in at the moment, but she'll tell you that I love a phrase, uh, a wise phrase. <laughs> um, so, and this isn't mine, this is from Albert, Albert Einstein, definition of madness, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So this year, don't be mad. Make a change. And how do we do that? If you want to read your Bible a little bit more, but the toilet method isn't working for you anymore, I think everyone knows what it is. The only place when you've got kids where you get some peace and quiet doesn't even happen in our house because they just open the door um, <laughs> then try something different try something new leave home 10 minutes earlier pull over on the way to work stop and then read your bible and then move on again try the audio version that you can listen to as you drive to work or you clean the house speak to a friend 
Set up a reading WhatsApp group so you can prompt each other as the weeks grow on. Have an accountability partner, someone you check in with every week to see how their walk and their reading is going. Change your radio station at home for worship music or a Christian radio station. I want us to be encouraged this morning as we go away. Not have a checklist of jobs to do and things to change. And I want us to just remember this. If we're not successful in making changes that we want to make, or we haven't acted on that intention, don't worry, because we have a loving and gracious God. And you don't have to wait until the first Sunday of 2025 to start again. Any time, any day of the year, you can act on the intention. And you can restart as many times as you like. Just as we don't need to have perfect bodies to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, we don't have to have a perfect track record of acting on our intentions and not stopping halfway through. Our God loves us, and he really, really loves a trier. So if I can ask the worship team to come up. So last night, as I was um, going through this again, this little bit came to me and it might be important for someone here one of you for more of you I don't know Um, and it just came to me that the picture of baptism fits with being all in for God the act of baptism is a great one and here we just we don't just drip some water over us to be baptized we are fully submerged we offer everything to God When you go under that water being baptised, you can't hold anything back. It's all in. Your body, your heart, your soul, the good parts of you, the not-so-good parts of you, the bits that need work, they all go under the water and they all come back up again afresh. Baptism is a public declaration of something that happened in your heart. But you don't baptise a small part of your life. Your whole life, everything is given. And maybe that will mean something to someone of you here this morning. If you've been given the nudge to be baptized in 2024, if the Holy Spirit's put that on your heart, speak to myself, speak to one of the elders, your life group leaders, or someone that you know and trust this morning, if that's resonating with you. So as we close, if there's anyone who wants prayer this morning, who wants prayer because they want to make a change, they've had that nudge, and they just want someone to know that they're going to try and do that this year, someone to be accountable, then come forward this morning. I'll be at the front. Uh, Paul's here. Tim's here. Any life group leaders, if we need it, if you come forward and, and pray as well, please. Um, and as well, if there's anyone who's got stories of encouragement where you have had that intention, that nudge, and that has led to an action, and you've seen the outworking of that, then please come forward this morning and share that as well. I'm just going to close in prayer before um, we're led in a time of worship and response. Father, I thank you for being here this morning, and I thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit, Lord. I just pray that, that you would give us those intentions, give us those nudges to change something in our, in our life, Lord, and, and that you would give us the will and the strength to move our bodies into action for that, Lord, we pray. We just pray that our lives, 
this year in 2024, Lord, will be all in. We will be completely submerged, Lord, and we will give our bodies, we will give everything our, that we have, our hearts, our souls, and our actions for you this year, Lord, we pray. Yeah, Lord, and if there's anyone here who's questioning this morning about what, what's he talking about, what's he going along about, Lord, we just pray that, you know, they would, they would come to know you this morning as well, Lord, that they would find someone that they trust and speak to them as well, Lord, we pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. Amen.